Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 9 through 16. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is ahead, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is a reading of God's word. Uh, thanks, Brandon, for reading uh, the scripture uh, this morning or this afternoon. Uh, <clears throat> it's good to be uh, back. I, I was uh, absent for a couple of weeks. Last week I was away in Philadelphia for a retreat, and uh, the, the Sunday before I uh, wasn't feeling too well, and so uh, Pastor James had to cover for me, so I'm thankful for that. But um, uh, we're resuming here what we started two weeks ago by, by looking at this book here uh, that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And the reason we're doing this is because next week um, we will be sending out to the church an evaluation uh, survey. Okay, it'll be a Google form. And um, I, I think the questions, uh, there will be a good number of questions, but they're easy answers, little checks here and there. Take some time to do it. And as we look at that, we want to get feedback in terms of how we as a church um, can grow, what things we could do better, what things we need to work on, what things maybe that we need to, um, you know, create or, or start even. And so there are many different reasons for doing this. But one of the reasons that I'm doing this series here a little bit on Ephesians 4 is before you evaluate before you start critiquing, before you start um, saying, well, this is what needs to be done, or this is what needs to change, or this is what needs to, to you know, be started, you kind of have to also know what you should be looking for, what should be expected, right? I mean, if you're saying, oh, Pastor Francis, I wish he would be more entertaining and then he could come to church with balloons and a, and a clown suit, you know, that, that might be a good advice if you want to bring people in, but that's unexpected. That's, that's something that, you know, we, we, we don't do, and so it's, it's something that we think we need to understand. So what should we be looking for? How should we approach our church when we think about how we grow? And this is not an individual exercise. This is a corporate one. And so here in this passage, uh, we're looking at what, we're, what Paul is talking about called gifts, right? And what we said two weeks ago was that when Paul uses the word gifts, he's not talking about presents, uh, but he's talking about the things that we have received in order that we might serve somebody else in the church. The things that God has given to us, talents, abilities, skills, desires, opportunities, that God has given to us, not just for us, but so that we might be able to share with others. All right? So here in this passage, I'm going to give you three things. In verse 11, in this passage, Paul will tell you what gifts Jesus gave. In verse 12... He will explain what the gifts are supposed to do. And then in verse 13, he will explain what the gift produces, all right? What they're supposed to produce. 
So three points here. What are gifts that he's talking about here in our passage? What are they supposed to do? And what are they supposed to produce? And as we put all these things together, what we'll see here is that we'll get a picture of the church and how it's supposed to move forward. If you remember two weeks ago, we looked at this, and we've already said this. Paul says in verse 7 here in our passage that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay? So there's gifts given, verse 7, and then in verse 11, this is what he gave. So verse 7, you've been given something. Now verse 11, this is what he gave. Now look at it with me with verse 11. This is what he gave. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And so in verse 11, there you have, at least in this context, in this church, in this passage, the gifts that has been given to this church. And he says, you've got pastors, you've got teachers, you've got shepherds. In fact, you've got elders. There's a couple things I want to talk about here. Different people, different gifts. Different people, but different gifts. Because notice this. There's the gift of apostleship. There's a gift of prophecy. There's a gift of evangelism. There's a gift of shepherding. And there's a gift of teaching. But the way he mentions, notice this, the way he mentions each of these gifts is not just some kind of impersonal skill or talent or or, or ability. It's much more personal. God doesn't just give the church a gift of shepherding. He gives shepherds. God doesn't just give the church the gifts of teaching. He gives teachers. He doesn't just give the gift of evangelism. What does he give? He gives evangelists. And so in other words, Paul speaks in terms of the total person as a gift to the church. God doesn't just give skills, talents, abilities to the church so that people can be blessed. He gives people to the church so that people could be blessed. The gifts given to the church is not just what you and I can do for the church. The gifts that he's talking about given to the church are the brothers and sisters in your church through whom God uses to build us up. People. Different people with different gifts. Given to people, people with specific roles, People with specific talents, abilities, strengths, gifts, pastoring, teaching, and leading. That's what we see here in our passage. Paul calls those people gifts to you. Think about this, okay? Pastors, teachers, shepherds, elders, evangelists, missionaries are gifts to you from God. Now, I might be tooting my own horn here, but let me just say this. Do you know what this means? It means I'm a gift. I'm a gift to you, right? It means that James is a gift to you. It means that the elders in this context are a gift to you. You ever think about it like this? Now, I know some of you are thinking right now, can I get a receipt, right? Is there a return or an exchange? And unfortunately not. The grace period is over, especially those of you who chose to become a member of the church That's what we're stuck with. But I want you to notice, in this passage, he talks about those places of authority, but Paul talks about gifts in other passages that he's written. 
So, you know, if you read Romans chapter 12, if you read 1 Corinthians 12, if you read 1 Peter 4, he talks about people who are gifted to serve. He talks about people who are gifted to encourage. He talks about people who are gifted to give generously, who lead, who do acts of mercy, who show hospitality, all different people. And so it's not just pastors and elders who are gifts, but it's people, different people, who do different things and who do them well. Different people with different gifts. Paul is reminding us here that Jesus doesn't give everyone the same gifts. There are evangelists who aren't apostles. There are pastors who aren't teachers. There are prophets who are not teachers. They're all, they're all different. And they're all different people with different gifts. And that, you have to understand, that is a good thing. It's a good thing that I'm not you and you're not me. That we are different. Because I'll be very honest, in some ways, I oftentimes think if everyone was like me, the church would be a lot easier to deal with because I would know how to deal with myself, right? But if everyone was like me, then everyone is a preacher or a teacher. And if you were like me, then you'd be missing out. You'd be missing out on someone else's different sense of humor. You'd be missing out on someone else's optimism where I'm maybe more pessimistic, You'd be missing out on someone's more brightness, where maybe I'm a little bit more dark. If everyone was like me, you might be missing out on gifts of hospitality, mercy, music. You know, I want to be like Abe when I watch him play, just when he watch him play or sing, but I'm not. But if he was like me, I would never be blessed from the praise. And all the musicians here and all those who play the music, it, it, it's, it's, it's a different gift with different people. Some of you have administration gifts. Some of you have better organization gifts. Some of you have better planning gifts. Some of you have better encouragement gifts. God gives more. I want you to hear this. God gives more than just a pastor, as important as that role is, and more than just an elder. More than just me, right? More than just our session, more than just James, more than anybody else. We have all been given people. And here's the truth. We may be a gift to you, but we are not gifted enough. The elders may be a gift to you, but they are not gifted enough. And that's the way it should be. Because the church is not to be built around one or two personalities. That's the way it should be. That's how God intended it. Now, as we think about evaluating our church, as you take some time to hopefully fill out the evaluation forms in the next few weeks, the implication here is that as we do this, as we evaluate its leaders, because there will be a lot of questions about leadership, as we evaluate its, its ministers, there's a lot of questions about ministers, and there, there are a lot of questions about the ministries. Before we say, the leaders need to do better, which I would absolutely agree. But before we say something like that, we also need to ask ourselves, can I do better? Can I do better? Because this is the truth. The church will not progress the way it should if only one or two people do better, okay? So 
when you look at verses 4 and 6, Paul talks about when we looked at a couple weeks ago, this oneness, this idea of unity. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So again, we've looked at this before. One body, one spirit, one, 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 one. Keeps talking about this oneness. All this talk about being one under one church and one God. This idea of unity. But I don't, and I've said this before, remember this. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. How does this one God, this one triune God, build his church? How? By giving different people with different kinds of gifts to build the church that's supposed to be a little different from the world. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you said to a fellow church member, Hey, I just want to pause and I want to tell you how much I've been encouraged by you serving in this way. When's the last time you said that to someone serving? When's the last time you said to a fellow brother and sister in Christ, hey, I just wanted to let you know how much of a blessing that you've been to me in your doing up there or behind the scene. I just want you to know how much of a blessing you've been to my child as you serve in the role of teaching and, 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 and ministering to, to the kids. Um, I just want to thank you for ministering, serving, and encouraging me, my faith, my trust in Jesus Christ. When's the last time we said that to one another? Okay? So those are the gifts that Paul gives or God gives to this church. Different people with different gifts. Now, second point. What are those gifts supposed to do exactly? Okay? Now, we're not talking about all gifts. We're talking about the ones that he mentions, the people that he gave, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, right? Or the leaders of the church. What are their gifts supposed to do? Look at verse 12. He's very clear. Look at this. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. You see that? Verse 11, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. What are they supposed to do? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Isn't that interesting? You would think that Paul would say, well, God give pastors and teachers and elders to do the work of ministry because that's what they do. But what Paul says here in this verse is different. He says he gives these people to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? It's the church. It's the church. And this is something we need to be clear about. Just because you have a role or a title in the church does not automatically mean, therefore, they do all the church stuff. But if you look carefully, there's a certain gifting, certain role that people have in the church that sometimes implies they are used to help others serve, to equip others for the work of ministry. It's something to think about as we evaluate. Too many times we think, well, somebody will handle it. Well, Pastor Francis could handle it. Well, too many times, you know, it's like, well, the elders should do this. Why isn't the leadership doing this? Why can't the church do this? Or maybe we could do it like this or that. 
Too many times we have a lot of ideas and a lot of words and a lot of thoughts and a lot of, a lot of critiques. But the problem is you've got no hands. You've got no feet. Now, don't get me wrong. There are probably a lot of things that leaders like this, pastors, teachers, elders, can do better. Absolutely. Shepherding, teaching, leading. Those are the three things that I see. Shepherding, teaching, and leading. But the thing is, if all of us are coming, facing, I don't know, facing me, listening to me, looking at me to take care of a whole bunch of things because I'm the elder pastor, I'm going to be very honest, you will be very disappointed because I know for a fact I'm only really good maybe at one or two things. But rather than looking at me or the leaders, whoever they might be, we need to be people who are willing to turn their heads around and look at others and say, hey, this is what I could do for you. This is what I think I can do for the work of ministry. That's what verse 12 says. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Okay? That's what they do. Now, what does all this using my skill and talent or ability and, and um, using the leadership and using uh, the people, the different people with different gifts, uh, what, what does it produce? Okay? What does it produce? And that's what we find here in verse 13. Let's look at the verse 13. This is what he says. He says, Until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro for by the waves carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Speaking truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Okay? Um, three things I see here. Two I'm going to be really quick, and one I need to, one I need to little dwell on a little bit. Three things I think that the use of the right people with the right gifts in the community of the church that it should produce. Number one, Paul says unity. All right, we've talked about this already, so not too much time here. It's the unity of the faith. We've already talked about this, but it's safe to say you can't do unity by yourself, right? It necessarily implies other people. Unity means it can't just be about you and what you are getting out of it. It also requires you to think about others. So how does this unity grow? How is it lived out? Paul says here, it's a unity of faith. And one of the things we believe in common, that we ought to believe in common, or at least think about, is this thing called the gospel. That we are saved by grace, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. All right? That belief is designed to do in us among other things, it's designed to do in us at least one thing, kill pride. Now follow me here, okay? If you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ, you cannot be walking around thinking, it's all about me. The gospel isn't just saving belief or faith, it's a pride-killing belief. 
And what Paul says, what does Paul say in Philippians 2, is the thing that is causing disunity in the Philippian church. It's pride and selfishness. So if you're going to have unity, somebody's got to be killing pride and selfishness. And Paul is saying that if the word of God is being preached, the faith that is being preached is designed to kill pride and selfishness in you. If it kills pride and selfishness, then guess what happens? You're no longer asking, what does the church do for me? You're asking, what can I do for the church? If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the master of the universe, came into this world not to be served, but to serve, if you understand this message, then you're going to be asking not, how am I being served? You're going to be asking, how can I serve you? And when the church is full of people who understand the same message in the same way, guess what? The unity will grow. Different people, different gifts. Second thing that we see here that's supposed to produce, knowledge of the Son of God. That's what Paul says in our passage. Paul wants to see in this church the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, what does he mean when he says that? What he does not mean is that he would like you to just know more things about Jesus. What he means is he really wants you to know Jesus in a personal, real, concrete, even experiential way. Remember when Paul says, I have counted everything rubbish in comparison to what? Knowing Christ. Paul doesn't just want you to know about Jesus. He wants you to know Jesus. Now, for some of you, that means, oh, maybe I should do more Bible study. Maybe I should read more Bible. But he wants you to know him personally. He wants you to know him relationally. He wants you to know him communally. How does that happen? Through different people who use different gifts. Not just pastors who preach and teach, but when people use their gifts of encouragement, like Jesus did. When people serve, like Jesus served. When people give, like Jesus gave. When people show hospitality, like Jesus welcomed and accepted. Uh, when people teach or lead, like Jesus led or taught. When you see this in a community of people, guess what? You get a realer, more practical, more concrete picture of who Jesus is. It's not just doctrine. It's not just teaching. It's service. Now, unity, knowledge of Jesus, what does us using our gifts, our roles, what did it produce? Unity, knowledge of Christ, but third, and here's the most important one, maturity. Verse 13, to produce the mature manhood. Verse 14, no longer tossed to and fro like what? Children. Verse 15, so that we grow up in every way. Let me take a little bit of time here and finish with this, okay? Paul wants this church to mature. When it's not just pastor ministering to the people, but when it's people ministering and serving to people, different people ministering and serving one another with different gifts, communally, they're going to be united in faith, they're going to know Jesus a little bit more, and what else? They're going to mature. Now, what does 
Christian maturity look like? I'm 51 years old. I'm not sure what a 51-year-old mature person is to look like. I'll be very honest, all right? The only thing I have to go against is other people who are like around my age. And I'm not sure if that's the best thing either, all right? I'm, to be honest, I'm not quite sure what it's supposed to look like, especially since my wife calls me immature all the time, right? I imagine we think that a mature person, maturity means you look like Jesus Christ. But that's kind of very generic and kind of broad, isn't it? But I think Paul gives us a little bit of definition. He says in verse 14, so that we're no longer like children who are tossed to and fro by the waves. Here's what I think Paul's trying to say and I think what we need to hear. Some of us, many of us, have been in the church for so long, as long as you can remember, and you are still unstable in your faith. The moment anything happens in your life, the moment the slightest difficult thing happens in your life, your world is rocked. You are back to square one. Your faith is in shambles. You are like that little hut built on a sand that when a hurricane comes, it just wipes away. But the thing is, you've been in the church for so long. And Paul here in our passage is talking to us, that's a child. The opposite of this is someone who is not tossed to and fro by waves. In other words, I think the picture we have here is someone who is on solid ground. What that practically means, I think, is this. Not that they never need help, but they know where to get it. And they know how to get it. And they can show others where to find it. There's a groundedness that they have that is unshakable. Not because they are so strong and so able, because they know what they stand on despite what the circumstances say. They don't retreat They don't cowardly go away. They don't throw their hands up and surrender, but they fight the good fight, trusting and believing that this is what they stand on. And they've been through it. And sometimes this only comes with age. But they know how to get it. And here's the thing. They know how to share that with others. With others. Do you know what I think is the one gift, the one strength, the one sign of maturity that we need and yet Sojourner lacks? Leadership. Leadership. Spiritual, biblically informed, Christ-like leadership. I'm not talking about the roles of elders and pastors. I'm talking about generally everyone in terms of being able to lead. Many of you are good at signing up because you'll support whoever is going to lead. But none of you really want to be in that position where you want to help others move in that ministry and direction. 
This is one of the most crucial areas of our church that we are lacking for whatever reason. Let me, let me tell you what Hebrews says, okay? Because Hebrews talks about this. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. This is what he says to this church. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. This is what Hebrews tells his church. He says, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be the teacher. You ought to be the leader. By this time, how long has it been? You ought to be the teacher. And yet you need someone to teach you the basics again and again and again. You ought to be the leader. Maybe not, maybe not in some like official capacity, but helping others to know where to find the help. By leading others by example. By reaching out to others who are younger in the faith or even in age in life. By this time, you ought to be a teacher for the things that you should have learned all those years being in the church. And yet, you need milk. Solid food is for the mature. So let's leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. We all should be in the same boat for many of us who've been in the church for so long. You know, if you're new to the church, if you're coming back to church, if you're not a Christian and you're not sure about it, you know, this is, I don't expect this from you, but for many of us who have been here, we should just not know the way we should be able to stand firm in the way when the storms hit. And we should also be able to help others to know how to do that as well. So why are we still drinking solid milk when we need solid food? So let me ask you a question then. Are you maturing? Are we maturing as a Christian? If not, why not? What's holding you back? Do you not want to grow or mature? I mean, what's keeping you from maturing? You got Bibles in front of you? You got, you got groups in front of you? You've, you've got, you know, studies and oh, prayers always available? I mean, there's so many ways. Well, what, what's keeping us? And I'm going to say, sometimes you're going to say, well, because we're so busy, and sometimes with that stuff, we're a little lazy, we're a little negligent. Um, but I think... It's because we haven't properly used what we've been given. Not just stuff, but people we've been given. The different people with different gifts. And that's what's supposed to happen. Okay? Because look at verse 15 or 16. This is what he says. We're to grow up into him 
who is the head of Christ. See, grow up, verse 14, and then verse uh, 15, and then verse 16, he says, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You hear what it says? When we grow and mature, it means we are equipped that each part of that body, when it's working properly, makes the body grow. You see what Paul's doing? The kind of growth that he wants in a congregation is not just one-to-one. It's not just purely individualistic. Growing and maturing will not continue if all depends on one person or a few people with a few gifts. It will be stunted. But when the whole body, joined together, held together by every joint, is equipped, when each part is working properly, then guess what? That makes the body grow. Paul is saying that he doesn't just want a few good people to grow. He wants the whole congregation together to grow, the whole body to grow. Do you know what we call it when only one part of your body outgrows the rest? It's called cancer. Paul is very concerned that the whole body together mature. And the way Paul says God's going to make this happen is when we use our gifts, those gospel, gracious, spiritual gifts of service and ministry for the sake of the body, when our dear Lord Jesus Christ, who gives himself to you, to every single individual, when he has gifted each and every one of us, that's when those things can happen. And that means this. As we evaluate our church, we need to recognize those needs at the same time. And that sometimes means we need to look at ourselves and say there's something that's needed in the church that you might be able to provide. It's meant to be used. It may not be in the front kind of, kind of thing, but it's something you've been given and it needs to be used. It means the gifts are needed. And if you're not, and the whole church misses out when that gift is not exercised. We shouldn't be waiting for others to use their gifts. Hey, I heard you have the gift of giving. Can you give me 100 bucks? Nor should we be looking at others wishing we had their gifts. Oh, I wish I could be up in the praise team singing and playing like that, but I can't. Because if you do that, you'll be wasting your own gifts. Now, don't get me wrong. I know. Look, I know you're busy people, family children, work, and all these things require your attention and effort, okay? And serving even in the church and dealing with people is very, can be very tiresome and it takes effort. Consuming can be a headache, absolutely. But if all of us have ways we can bless the church and others, it means that we should be on the lookout of how to do that. And if you're not sure, if you're not sure what those ways are for you, even if you don't think you have what it takes and what is needed, we should be discovering what they are. We should be discovering our abilities in the church. How do I do that? It's not ability. It's availability. It's availability. 
if you're not sure what you could do, if you're not sure what the best way to do or to be used is, your availability is the way to discover your gifts. We should pray and ask God two practical questions. Number one, what are the immediate needs around me and in my church? And number two, how can I be used to possibly meet those needs for the body? And sometimes that requires someone to step up into a position of leadership of some sort. And maybe you need to be seriously open to that. This is the way the church will grow. God gives to the church. He gives people to the church. Through those gifts and using those gifts, different people and different gifts, unity grows. The knowledge of Christ becomes real and maturity starts to happen. And that's what we need. So let's pray about that for just a moment as we close today. And let's think about not just where others need to grow, where others need to do better, but also where we, where I need to grow and where I need to do better. And let's pray for his grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your, your grace. We thank you so much for your strength. We are reminded that at the end of the day, the church stands or falls on you and you alone. That at the end of the day, and ultimately, you are the one that sustains the church, you are the one that grows the church, and you are the, ones, you are the one that can wipe away the church. And as we recognize this, Lord, you are your sovereign strength and purpose and will in our lives. At the same time, help us to recognize our responsibility. The responsibility we have. Not to create out of nothing, that only you do, but Lord, to give and to, to use and, and, and to, to, to dwell on the things that you have already given to us. Our growing, our thriving, our persevering, our enduring, our struggling, all of these things do not just happen in a vacuum. They happen as we struggle and wrestle and as we work and serve and as we live on who you are and what you've done for us. And so, Lord, help us to take the responsibility once again, trusting, Lord, that the burden is light, that your yoke is easy. Help us to know that you are dependable, trustworthy, and you provide what is ultimately needed the most. And although we don't always grasp our circumstance, our life, as much as chaotic it can be, as much as difficult as it can be, Lord, where else can we turn to in our time of need? And so, Lord, we don't know, but you do. And so we trust you because you do. And we can trust you because you've given to us your son, Jesus Christ. There's no greater reason than to try and trust you again. So as we look forward to not just the church, but our lives and the, and the future and the things that might continue and the things that might come up, not just blessings, but the difficult things, we pray 
that your grace would be upon us all, and that you will remind us again and again of what you've done and who you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.